I love the boldness of the promise that God gives to Abram in Genesis 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a big deal. This is the beginning of the covenant, the oath that God makes with Abram. The almighty God, whose power is without bound, choosing to bind himself to Abram and his descendants out of love in order to bless not just this particular family, but all the families of the world. Wow. And in response to God's speech, telling him of this blessing, no words are recorded from Abram in the biblical narrative. The narrator just says, so Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. But I want to dig a bit deeper here even if we don't get to read in these verses about what Abram was thinking or how he felt in that moment, this isn't the only time that God speaks with Abram to tell him about the covenant. In the chapters to come, we see a number of different reactions that he has to God reiterating his promise. The tension in the passage is that Abram is hearing a promise from God that does not correspond to his lived experience. Just a couple verses earlier, there was a genealogy from Noah's son Shem to Abraham. And the genealogy lists who was the father of whom for generations. When it comes to Abraham's generation, it lists his two brothers and their children but for Abram and his wife Sarai, not only does it list no descendants, but the text further emphasizes the point by saying, now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Abram was 75 years old at the time that God spoke to him and Sarai was 65. While it wasn't unprecedented in early Genesis for couples to conceive at those ages, Abram's father had had a child at 70, Abram and Sarai had been waiting and hoping in vain for a child for many years. And then God appears and says that he will make of you a great nation. So I wonder how he felt in hearing that promise from God. It could have been relief or wonder. That's usually how I assume it went down. You know, God says this wonderful thing. And Abraham went as the Lord told him. He says, yes, I'm fully bought in to this crazy idea that we will have a child. And in fact, so many children that we will be called a great nation. And I have no further questions for you, God. But we see that over time, his response is more complicated. Even if at first his response was joyful acceptance and obedience, there were other emotions that were at play too. One response is confusion and doubt as he tries to fit together what he knows from his experience with the words that God is speaking. 
In Genesis 15, after God speaks again to Abraham, he starts a dialogue with God about all of his questions. He asks questions about how this is to happen when he has no children. Similarly, in our gospel reading for today, Nicodemus brings his questions to Jesus. How can these things be? Another response is anger. It could have felt like God was mocking him to say that he will make of him a great nation when he doesn't have any children. I wonder if that's why Sarah laughs when the promise is restated to her years later. The angels say that Sarah will have a son after so many years of infertility and old age. The words may have sounded foolish and the idea of hoping again was too painful. Yet another response to God's promise could be sadness. Maybe feeling like God didn't understand his situation, how he and Sarah's hopes have been dashed every month for decades as their barrenness was confirmed. When God next speaks to him, Abram's response sounds like a lament. Oh, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? For I continue childless. And yet, Abram is lifted up as an example of faith. It's a relief to me to see the emotional variance that his faith contains. To the same promise of God, he sometimes responds with simple obedience and sometimes with confusion, anger, or sadness. Some of his faith looks a lot like what I would think of as doubt. And as Abram did, we too can bring our full spectrum of emotions to God without fear. How do you respond when you hear a promise of God that feels far from your reality? For instance, in the face of injustice and poverty, how do you understand Psalm 140 that says, the Lord maintains the cause of the afflicted and executes justice for the needy? Or after years of unanswered prayers, how do you understand Jesus saying, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you? Or in the face of disease, how do you understand the words of Psalm 91? You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your habitation, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Or even this morning in the gospel reading, how do you hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. You too might feel joy, wonder, confusion, anger, sadness, apathy, or something else entirely. So as Christians, as a church, what do we do with that? What do we do with these emotions in response to God's promises that aren't always pure joy and acceptance all the time every day? I have three suggestions. The first is to express them to God. 
God does not rebuke Abram. Even when Abram fell on his face laughing, when God restates the promise a third time and it was yet unfulfilled in Genesis 17. Honesty with God, even when we are angry or sad, confused or feeling far from God, builds our relationship with God. The second suggestion is to stick it out for the long haul. It was over 11 years after the promise before Abram had his first child by Hagar. And a full 25 years after God's initial covenant that Sarah became pregnant with Isaac. A life of faith includes many seasons. Those of closeness to God, taking consolation in God's words and promises such as when Abram first heard from God, but also those seasons in the waiting period when God's promises seem far off. And the third suggestion is, as a church, we are not alone in our faith journeys. It's important to remind each other who our God is and what God has done for each of us in the past. Despite our circumstances, the God we serve, as it says in Romans, gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. God is not limited by what we see around us. God, the giver of life, can and did give a child to Abraham and Sarah despite their barrenness, and one many years later to Mary despite her virginity. God can also reverse what we might see as, quote, natural processes, such as by raising the dead to life, because God created everything. God called this world into existence when it did not exist. So any perceived conflict that we see between our circumstances and God's promises is not truly a conflict at all. There are no circumstances that can constrain God's action. Indeed, even death, which seems to us as the ultimate, inevitable, and insurmountable circumstance, has been conquered by Jesus Christ through his rising from the dead, so that we can now say, O oh, death, where is your victory? And O oh, death, where is your sting? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who, through Jesus, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We pray for those among us who, like Abram, are in a season of barrenness, waiting on the fulfillment of your promises. May we come before you honestly, bringing with us our full range of emotions, our faith as well as our doubts. Draw near to us, Lord and rekindle our hope in your promises as we remember your everlasting faithfulness to Abraham, to the saints throughout the ages, and to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.